Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and that little bit kinder to yourself because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. Hi everyone, happy new year to you and welcome to this week's podcast. It is with Carolyn Cohen. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you will know that she was on before talking about relationships. Carolyn is a psychosexual and relationship therapist. And the response to that episode was so incredible that I invited her back on. So Karen and I have a really wide-ranging and deep conversation talking about shame primarily and the difference between guilt and shame. But also springing off from that point, we talk about relationships, self-compassion, healing and as ever on this podcast, we go quite deep. We talk about some uncomfortable topics at times but what I love so much about Carolyn is that right at the end of the podcast about 40 minutes or so in we start talking about how to heal from some of the topics that we're talking about and Carolyn's concepts and ideas are so practical and helpful she really I think forms part of this self-healers movement which I'm seeing more and more now and just loving. So I hope you really enjoy the episode. And I just wanted to say before we get into the episode, thank you to everyone who has been sending me lovely messages and well wishes from the birth of my second daughter, Rose. She is just over a month now and doing brilliantly. And also don't forget that my perfectionism course is live. So Carolyn mentions that one of the ways that we can try to mask or manage our shame is through perfectionism. So it's really apt that my first online course is about perfectionism. A lot of you have done the course now and the reviews and responses have been incredible and some of the results have been astounding as well. So if you have a look on my website, motherkind.co, you can have a look. It is a 20-day self-study course and all the details on the website. Here is this week's episode. So welcome back. Very nice to see you again. Thank you. Well, the episode that we did last time had such an incredible response. My inbox was just flooded with people loving you and your energy and your message and how clear you were. And I think you introduced lots of new concepts to people, particularly around attachment. All right, that's nice. I'm glad you got a good response. I also got a good response, so thank you. You have a good. great following. I do. I absolutely yeah. love my listeners. Yeah. They're incredibly open and intelligent and curious. Mm. So we've been chatting about... I knew I wanted to have you back, and I could have had you back to discuss so many things, and actually, Karen and I have just been sat here going, should we focus on this? Should we focus on this? But something that we're going to focus this episode on is shame. Yes. Now, I wonder if there's a few people whose backs have just straightened a little because it's a heavy word and it's a heavy topic. So why have we decided to get into shame? We decided to get into shame because we were discussing attachment and we were discussing codependency, which is the 12-step version of attachment. 
And then we were discussing how much shame can overlay and install itself into our relational process, both with our siblings, our children and our partners. And so we decided to explore shame. But I think the thing that what needs to come in first is what's the difference between guilt and shame? Lots of people don't know. Yeah, let's start there. So guilt is an interesting one. Guilt is I did something wrong. I broke something. I stole something. I told a lie. I feel guilty. And we can joke and say I'm a recovering Catholic. I have Catholic guilt. But interestingly, we can very often have guilt and shame about a situation But shame is a very different emotion. Shame, I think, could be classified as one of the most painful emotions that we can feel after the pain of loss. It's a hideous thing to feel shame, and particularly when you go into a massive shame fold. So shame is the sensation that you're bad. It doesn't necessarily instantly start at that point. But if you get a really bad shame attack or you are badly shamed, uh, you can find yourself at the end of that spiral thinking that the only way out is death or dying or you deserve to die. So shame is a really horrific internal experience of the self. And I think in the last episode, we might have talked about the vagus nerve. It doesn't matter if we didn't, but... It's been talked about a lot on the podcast. Yeah, so so shame is sort of one of, almost one of the ultimate things that the vagus nerve can do. And when you have a really strong shame fold or a shame attack within yourself feel as if you've poured petrol inside yourself and set yourself on fire. It's awful. And for some people, I mean, I've worked with clients who've spent a month in a shame fold. We can think that we're very depressed. We can think we're having a really bad anxiety attack. And I think that the very interesting thing about shame is that anxiety is part of shame. It's the kind of lighter end, unless anxiety is really severe, in which case part of that is anxiety is the inability to trust yourself. And of course, we can feel anxious because we're going to hospital or we can feel anxious because we're going to take a transatlantic flight or we can feel anxious because we're getting married. That's that's perfectly normal to feel fear in those kinds of situations. Even butterflies, be, anxious. Well, yeah, sort I mean, of different. Well, even if it was hospital, you wouldn't necessarily feel butterflies. That's you may true. feel really frightened. But really deep anxiety is fundamentally that we do not trust ourselves. And that, in its essence, is shame as well. So we can get lost in shame for long periods of time. And shame recovery... People say, I'd like to work on shame. And you just think, I run three-day shame workshops because it's the fastest way through. It can be a good couple of years of consistent therapy to be able to shift that stuff. Okay, so let's back up a bit. Mum guilt is something that is talked about an awful lot. I think what people are really talking about is mum shame. So mum guilt of what I hear a lot of is, I'm a terrible mother because I went away for the weekend and left my children with their grandparents. I'm a terrible mother because I didn't feed my child an organic meal today. Is that guilt or is that shame? Because this is the level which I think most people experience. And then let's get into the more... Yeah, I think there is a deeper picture to that. And there is an enormous amount of cultural and religious baggage that comes with that without you having to be religious. But actually, the Catholic Church monitors, still monitors our right as human beings, women. We're allowed to have a soul because we were made from one of Adam's ribs, according to the Catholic Church. So we're allowed a soul, but we're never actually allowed to be enlightened. And what's very interesting about our role as mothers is that we are considered to be reproducers. So we don't have an estate in our own right. 
We are reproducing on behalf. In the eyes of religion. In the eyes of religion. And it's a very interesting thing because actually... I think what you're doing is so fantastic. And I love what I do with the mother's journey as well, because we help women to look at their role. We help them to empower their role, but actually the medical system disempowers the role. Culture disempowers the role. The legal system disempowers the role. The benefit system disempowers the role. The childcare system, and we're constantly put in a second place citizen role. And then everything we do as mothers, I think it's very hard to feel like you are a good mother. If you allow yourself to be a good enough mother, then I think you have victory. That's a brilliant insight. I think the difference between guilt and shame is really important for people to really get. If someone is feeling perpetually guilty, maybe they're working full time and they've put their one-year-old into nursery and they feel guilty about that. Is that the guilt that you would say this doesn't align to my values. It doesn't align to the type of mother that I would thought I'd be. And therefore my behavior, you know, maybe that's something to look at. Or would you say that is shame? I'd say it's a mixture of two things because on one level, you've got culture looking at you. You've got an expectation that you should be able to afford your life. You know, you're under pressure to have this fantastically glamorous, well-heeled, beautifully finished off, nice garden, you know, blah, blah, blah. We have to work full-time to afford. You have to work full-time to achieve. Yeah, exactly. Full-time to achieve. So you've got this external vision of you that says oh you know you're working full-time who's looking after your kids how do you know who that person is you've got all this subtext how much of your income is going on finding somebody else to look after your kids you've got all this internal questioning and then at the same time what's your relational space with your child how much time are you spending with your child what's that doing to your relationship I mean I work with couples I have a couple at the moment which are both working full-time and they have two children in school and we did a 24-hour clock oh, yeah. of each of their days. I mean, for me, to sit with the man and to sit with the woman and to do a 24-hour clock of each of their days, it was actually kind of harrowing what they put themselves through. I felt not remotely judgmental, but, I mean, how do you find yourself in that? This is the reality. For how do you for find yourself people? within those kind of hours, you know, very high-pressure job for him, very high-pressure job for her, school run, paying the au pair, coming home, having a bath, making a meal, trying to connect, trying to be into, and then trying to have sex. Which is like, not gonna where happen, do you <laughs> end up? And actually what also happens is that it's hard to unpack this stuff. It's hard to unpack this stuff within the relationship because it changes the relationship. Because if you're constantly feeling insecure and inadequate and expecting the other one to soothe you, or you're angry because you're feeling abandoned and rejected because the other one is so busy and they're not seeing what you're doing and they're trying to host themselves within their reality and at the same time meet yours. It creates huge problems relationally. I mean, we've slightly gone off topic, but the whole thing about shame as a mother, I don't think you're ever allowed to win. I don't think anything allows you I to I think win. that's really powerful to hear. So by expecting ourselves to be able to feel like a great mum, we're setting ourselves up to fail to start with. What you're saying is remember the subconscious cultural pressures on ourselves that are yeah. probably having far greater impact than we realise. Point they one. Are. Point two, aim for feeling just good enough. It's the Donald Winnicott, isn't it? The good yes, enough mother. feeling good enough. Am I good enough? You know, you mentioned the whole thing about organic. It's this whole thing of... Am I just giving my child a phone every time they're annoying me? 
that's going to trigger guilt, but it's also going to trigger shame. What am I doing long term? Because also we feel so responsible. That's where I want to get into this with you, because that's where I think it gets complex. I mean, this whole thing is quite complex, but... It is, yeah. But because some things, and this sounds hard, and I don't want this to sound judgment, some things we should feel guilty about. Is that right? some things we should feel ashamed about as well. If we are... It's so tricky because if we're unable to hold our child's feelings and we're just giving them a phone, I would say that's not necessarily that person's fault. It's that they've never been taught how to hold their own feelings. So how on earth are they going to hold a toddler's? We start to open up a really interesting conversation where perhaps if we rewind and take a bigger picture. Yeah. Let's look at who are we as we go into motherhood? Oh, yes. You know, Let's imagine, for whatever reason, chosen or unchosen, we find ourselves pregnant. Now, we can have worked really hard to get pregnant and have gone through all kinds of appalling procedures, and we can have fallen pregnant. We may not know our partner who got us pregnant. We may know them very, very well. We may have all kinds of backgrounds, but at the point that we actually get pregnant and that pregnancy is successful, all the way until you give birth, it's a very, very interesting role you become the most beautiful, the most radiant, the most, you can feel like this is an amazing thing. I mean, you can find it difficult, particularly if you have a history of loss, but Mm -hmm. how present are you able to be is a really key question. Can you be still? Can you bear yourself? What happens when you lose your temper? What happens when you get cross? What do you do when you're upset? We never think about those things. No. I mean, we might think about those things and some people do, but the problem is, The moment you give birth, nobody can do it for you. You're the only person who can do it. Your partner can't step in and say, hey, listen, don't worry, I'll do that bit. You do all the rest, I'll do that. Nobody can do it for you. And all of a sudden, the bit that nobody talks about is the shock of giving birth and the shock of the new mother. Maybe you do, I do. But you hit motherhood and nothing is as it was. And I think that one of the hardest things for new mothers is this complete overwhelm and a real sense of loss of the sense of self. Yeah. Equally, what you thought might have been a really sexy relational partnership is now devastated by whatever's happened to your body, how difficult or easy breastfeeding is, whether you've got one or two children now mixed in to the bed, whether you smell of sick, you know, because the child's being sick on you all the time or, you know, whatever you're going through, whatever you were doing before in terms of losing your temper, getting overwhelmed, feeling anxious acting out it's going to be magnified because you have no sense of self that is such an important point because i see that all the time Mm. what i see is that sometimes those behaviors that sort of got us up to that point pre-motherhood a lot of control Mm -hmm. a lot of perfectionism that's all shame that's all shame let's get into that for sure Mm. is then when we become mothers, those coping tools, as you absolutely say, get magnified. Mm-hmm. I will cope with this feeling of being utterly out of control by trying to be perfect, trying to make all these meals and everything's great and the visitors are coming and the cakes are made. And I've frozen all these cubes. And of I've frozen the cubes and, and I've read every and book and, and I look great and the baby looks great and everyone's in cash yeah. here. <laughs> and that is where, that's where I see, I hear the breakdowns. But also when we're upset what we say. We will step way outside our emotional compass. 
of what we would have said before. We have already been split open, whether it was vaginally or cesarean, in those early months, and even, I think, for the first three years. And then if you whack in another child after that, you've got a long period of time where your sense of self is you don't have the figure that you had, you don't have the time that you had, you don't have the relationship that you had, you don't have a relationship to your sexual body that you had, you don't have the intimacy that you had. Nothing is what it was. And so we resort we resort and we revert to very old tools. And we may well show ourselves in lights, in ways of being that, that those, we can never take back. Do those old tools come from our own zero to seven yeah. conditioning? But not only seven. I mean, it's interesting because zero to seven is where we can't reject our parents. So we internalise an enormous amount. But seven to 14 tends to be where anger steps in and we tend to be able to reject our parents. And A lot of people, if, they, if you say, how old do you feel when, they're ang- when you're angry they'll probably say 11, 12, 14. Yeah. So anger can be that. But rejection and abandonment can come all the way through. But generally, rejection and abandonment is much smaller. So exactly that. We're hurt. We're upset. We feel abandoned. We'll revert to behaviours like sobbing, like crying, like screaming, like obscenities, like blaming and judging. And they're all mechanisms that unfortunately create a further fracture in the relational space. And they put us in a very vulnerable position. And then we're, we're on the back foot. It's not easy to repair the relationship, to find a way forward without reverting to those behaviours. And then, unfortunately, I don't know if you've noticed how bright and brilliant your children are. They watch everything. They pick up everything. Mm. And whatever they're witnessing as a relational play is how they will behave. Let's imagine you've got two children. One will take one role. The other will take the other role. One might be the appeaser. The other one might be the manipulator. Yeah. They'll watch and they'll pick it up literally from the youngest ages you can imagine. Well, I deeply get this both from an intellectual perspective but also from an experiential because I had parents who said all the right words to us but modelled very different things. And, of course, Mm. that's what I learned. I learned the modelled behaviour. So I know that to be true 100% from just my own experience. Mm. So... Linking back then, we've painted a really compelling and clear picture, I think, of what can happen in this transition. Yeah. How does this idea of shame, which you describe as, I am a bad person, I am not enough, how does that come to play into this role as mother and how do we then pass that on, which is tricky for people to hear but important, to our own children, thus this cycle continues. I think it's interesting to put in at this point that I'm aware that on a certain level, the conversation could be seen to be quite gendered. And I'm open to all kinds of genders and all kinds of sexual preferences and relational choices. So just to put that in at this point. But another caveat is that the role of the mother is gendered. And even in a lesbian partnership, it tends to be that the biological mother will have a stronger bond. Not always the case, but it does tend to be that the biological mother will have a stronger bond with the child. But then equally, I know, you know, I know men who have had surrogate children and adopted children, and it tends to play itself out differently, equally depending on the nature of the man. So let's take the role of the mother to be the person that is the primary carer. Yeah, in its for the broadest sake of definition. The conversation. Yeah. Yes. So where would you like to go? I want to explore this. I want to get into the shame, right. which I think is being mislabeled 
guilt. Right. And this idea of good enough, which is the opposite of shame. How does someone travel from feeling, I am not a good person, I am not a good mother, the shame spiral, as you called it, how do they travel to, actually, I am good enough? That's a really big question, I know, but I think that's what's going to... Because I think people are really going to identify with feeling shame. In the course of a podcast, that journey is probably impossible. And you're not. Gonna, I mean, I don't come with a pink, fluffy magic wand. I don't. I think if you can identify with what we're talking about, if you recognise that you have shame, page one, okay, yeah. you have shame. What does that look like? Brilliant, yeah. Okay, so shame in a relationship... Initially, your relationship at the beginning is all wet and juicy and erotic and pussy rushes and all that stuff and, you know, euphoric recall. By the time you give birth, that is changed. It's not irrevocably changed, and I don't mean to curse anything. Everybody emerges from it differently. But by the time you've had children and you realise that you're being triggered into extreme behaviours and extreme emotional responses because of the stress, this is where the shame will emerge. You will use shame to humiliate your partner. You will use shame to try to manage your children. You will use shame to put yourself in the victim position in an attempt to be rescued. You will use shame to manage the relational space with your partner. What are some of the things? So how might you shame your partner to try and be rescued? To make it really specific. You might, let's imagine, let's imagine in a gendered way. Let's imagine yeah. you've stopped your job. You're on maternity leave. You're yeah. at home. And your partner goes to work, you yeah. know, goes off, nice suit, going out to lunch, smells of aftershave, you know, nice cufflinks, briefcase, whatever. I mean, I have no idea, but gone off. And there you are. You're left at home with this child who's gurgling, may have cold, there's snot everywhere. It's not pretty. No intelligent conversation. Binge watching Pingu or whatever. I mean, <laughs> we've all been there. And at that point, your brain might tell you that you're shit. You're a crap mother. You're just really hating this. You should be loving this more than you are. You're shaming yourself. Should. That's such an important yeah. word. So you begin to shame yourself. You go into a shame spiral. He's left me. I'm on my own. He's going to have fun. Is he having an affair? Is he going to get drunk at lunch? Why me? Why did? Why can he go off? Why doesn't? And then you ring them up. Fucking shit. I hate you. Why did you leave me? Or you ring them up and you go, I can't cope. I'm having a really difficult day. And he's at the office with his secretary taking notes. Or however the play's out, all the things that you imagine are happening will come out in how you express yourself. And then they disappoint you. They say, I'm sorry, I can't come home. I can't come home tonight because I'm... Or I'm or, having a bad day too. Yeah, I'm having a bad day too, you know. Or, you know, I have clients where the husband comes home and says, why haven't you tidied up? Very common. And then she, or they, the other partner, turns into a witch. Do you have any idea what my life is like? And then it's like, well, do you know what I... I mean, I pay for all of this. I mean, you get into these terrible shaming I don't think there'll be matches. I don't think there'll be someone listening who doesn't recognize that play <laughs> and at this point the relationship has actually descended into two children you're not in your adult you're not in your adult and I think that the thing to remember I think it's very easy to listen to this stuff and you can have shame about having shame this is the problem with shame you can have terrible shame about having shame. And the fact that you have shame can send you into a shame spiral. And the fact that you might have done this, or the fact that you might even be considering doing it today, means that, okay, we're talking about shame. You have to give yourself a break and you have to go, okay, that's interesting. Maybe I realise that when I get upset, I'm not in my adult. That would be page one. So now if we've got the front cover is I have shame. Page two is, okay, I realise that when I get upset, 
when I get hurt, when I get angry, I'm not in my adult. And I don't behave as an adult. I behave as a bitchy child. I behave as a hurt child. I might plead. You know, there is a voice that goes, oh, God, please, please, please. I'm so sorry. Please, love. Oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I really, you know, that's a tricky one. You know, we have different ways that we behave when we feel shame, when we feel threatened, when we feel very young. And many of us are playing out that in our relationships. That's our relational play, is this triangle we talked about before we started, this drama triangle, the Cartman triangle, the victim, the persecutor, the rescuer. This is the classic move between the shame positions. So let's imagine that I'm the husband and you're the wife and you've rung me up in tears and I'm going, hey, listen, sweetie, I'm having a really tricky day too, you know? It's not just you. And anyway, we did agree that you would do this. You've essentially been shut up. Yeah, I feel shamed right now. So I've humiliated you. I'm the persecutor. You're the victim. But the victim can't bear to be the victim. So then you've got to offend. So you can offend in many ways. You could start screaming at me. You could also say, fuck you and hang hang up. Yeah. You can do lots of things. And now there's a standoff. So we can flip between those two places. I can ring you up and say, look, I'm sorry. And you can go, well, you you know, well, you're a blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry. I'm swearing on your podcast. It's fine. So we can keep that standoff going because we each flip between victim and persecutor. And then we wait. Somebody has to rescue. Somebody. Maybe it's you. You might ring me up and you might go, I'm so sorry. I really, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. And I'm so sorry. You know, I've been for a walk and, you know, I've wiped up all the sick and I'm really sorry. And I might go, yeah, well, can you not ring me at work? In which case, bang, I've put you back. Yeah. Well, I might ring you and I might go, I've booked us a table for dinner. And you might say, well, I'm sorry, I haven't got a babysitter. It's just like, fucking hell, you know, you never give me a break. You never let me make I can't do anything right. And so you keep on rolling. And these are all these movements between shame. So when you and I first met today, we were having that fabulous conversation about you trying not to shame your daughter into a bath. Oh, gosh, yeah. The next page, page three. So page one is shame is I'm a bad person. Page two is when I'm angry and upset, I'm not in my adult. Yeah. I'm behaving from a child place. Yeah, which is that really powerful awareness. Yeah. yeah. Let's make page three recognising that I'm playing this game of victim, persecutor, rescuer. Then let's make page four. How do I not play? And that's really an interesting one. And obviously, if you're a parent and if you've been playing these games, you would have been brought up to play these games. Yes. You would have been generationally playing these games. If you went to boarding school, you'd have been taught to play these games. Power games, peer pressure, bullying, it's all the same thing. So it's endemic. It's everywhere. But when you choose to adult yourself, here's the bit. Give birth, you lose your adult You're suddenly thrown into a role. You've been on a hero's journey and you're thrown into this role, R-O-L-E, this persona that you may never have met before. You didn't know you were this person. You didn't know you could go through that. You didn't know you could go through that and survive. Who knew you could breastfeed? Oh my God, how amazing. And equally, oh my God, this is overwhelmingly shocking. Is this the rest of my life? I'm responsible for this person. I don't know if I can do that. I I don't know if I like it. Exactly. It's very difficult to find your feet in those early years. It is very difficult. But as you emerge, you may start to think, I think I want to change some of my behaviours. So now you've got page one, two, three and four, which is to start watching, thinking, how would I do this as an adult? If I want to say this thing, how am I going to do it where I'm not being judgmental, I'm not blaming and I don't want to be rescued? How am I going to say, get in the fucking bath? without 
humiliating the child. This is to the child, not the husband. Yeah. Well, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but it is a very interesting thing, and it, it takes a huge amount of time and attention, and it takes a lot of work to say, wow, I realise that I have been triggered. I may have been triggered into a full shame film, but I may have also been triggered into my child and I'm about to behave really badly. It takes time. There isn't a magic wand. Bit by bit, you notice, I didn't like how I behaved just then. I don't like what's happening here. I notice that we're in an argument and I'm not in my adult. So can we stop? What are some of the clues that you're not in your adult? That's interesting. Uh, when you're feeling judgmental, when you're tearful. I mean, very much coming back to the vagus nerve. I'm going to be triggering right now, okay? I'm giving you a trigger warning. Okay. If I'm speaking to you and my eyebrows are up and my hands are moving really fast and my voice is fast like this, I'm upset. I'm not in my adult. And what will happen is that my facial expression and my hand movements will automatically trigger you. Did you notice your heart got fast? Yeah. Because you'll then respond from a panicked place. Well, I feel threatened. Yeah. And so you will respond with whatever behaviour you have that meets threat. Well, that's where I can fight you. Yeah, well, you could say, well, you know, well, you're not, you're not any better yourself. You know, you're just like yeah. that. And you climb up. It's like two monkeys running up a palm tree. Yeah. Or it's like fireworks going off. You've set my fireworks off. I'm going to set your fireworks yeah. off. And so it's that moment where you notice your partner or you speeding up. The eyebrows go up. The hand movements go up. The voice gets... I get a um, shot of adrenaline. Adrenaline is quite interesting. It will fuel anger. Yeah, or that's what need to We were talking about schools the other day and I felt really cornered. We have a really different opinion about this school. I was talking to you about it last time. Mm. And I felt really cornered and I felt really fearful and I got this shot of adrenaline and I went for Guy. I knew and I, you know, I said to him afterwards, you know what was triggered with me is I felt really fearful mm. that my voice wasn't being heard and we were going to make this decision which doesn't sit with me. And he said, I get that. But... It was afterwards. I wasn't able to do it before. I was like, I was definitely my child. Yeah, I mean, yesterday, you know, I got upset about something yesterday and I noticed that I called my partner and then I was upset. But I was able to say, this is not about you, I'm upset. But then I said, actually, I'm too upset. I'm really not talking about this from an adult place, so I need to stop. And then did some stuff, you know, stretched and did some stuff to go, okay, okay, let's talk about it now because now I'm in my adult. Like you say, though, this is bloody hard to do when you are tired overwhelmed going back to that 24-hour clock you know it's really hard isn't it and I think it's important for people to hear that it is really hard to do and I think that it's lovely that you say that and it's always you're always very generous with all of this stuff and the thing because I wouldn't want anyone to listen to it thinking that we think that this is easy no and also it's really important to recognize that all of these behaviors are tools they're weapons they're armoring you know, they're how we protected ourselves. Yes. And, and just coping, like, coping yeah. tools. I talk and, about that a lot. And also, you know, let's imagine if you and I were doing a podcast on addiction, drug addiction or alcoholism. Which well, is I think we should do one on that next but time. But interestingly, you know, the drug addiction and the alcoholism and the self-harm and the bulimia are equally the OCD and the anxiety and the rage behaviours and the anxiety. They're all coping mechanisms so let's imagine I mean I remember when I got sober I got clean and sober 28 years ago and I stopped drinking smoking gambling thank you drinking smoking gambling and taking drugs all on the same day I felt like a naked prawn I mean I felt like every piece of armoring had been removed from me and I had I had nothing yeah Yeah. exactly 
If you're thinking about your behaviour through the lens of the victim, persecutor, rescuer, or how much you shame or how much you get triggered into your child, you're triggered into behaving in a way that protects you. And that might be to burst into tears. That might be to humiliate yourself or the other. It might be to get really angry. And so it's a protective mechanism. So in terms of all of those things, including addiction, I would never say, based on my own experience especially, you don't have to go cold turkey. What you've got to do first of all is get safe enough to stop the behaviours. Because you can't just stop the behaviours. Yeah, because they're serving a purpose. So exactly that. You have to start to understand. So you might, let's imagine, you listen to this podcast. Let's imagine you turn around to your child without even thinking and you just go, put it in the dishwasher. You just unconsciously did it again. And you just go, gosh, that's interesting. I've noticed that I did that. That is a victory. That's a victory. Then you turn around to the child and go, come on, let's do it together. And what you've done is you've remade the connection. Come on, let's go and do it together. Because if I shame you, I break the connection. So you would say, just to be clear, put it in the dishwasher is shaming. It depends on the tone of voice. Yeah, obviously. You know, how honest. many times do I have to tell you, what is wrong with you? Are you what stupid? Is, what is wrong yeah. with you? Are you do stupid? Do you not understand? Your brother does it every time I ask. What am I, your servant? Yeah. <laughs> you know, do you notice the tone of voice as well? So it's a bit like, come on, darling, you know exactly what to do with a smile. There's a smile in my voice. And then the child goes, you know, they laugh, they think it's funny, and then they go marching off. And it takes time, you know. You might notice next time you get upset, you might notice, wow, I'm in the middle of this argument. I feel like I'm five, but I'm not going to stop because this is a power position. Yeah. Well, it can feel good. Well, it can feel good, but the problem is that in it the can moment. Also, it, well, it can, it's not always that you're the angry one humiliating the other. Sometimes you're humiliating yourself, you know, I feel like shit. I feel like I'm such a bad mother. I'm never doing anything right, waiting for the other person to step in and go, oh, darling, you know you're a good mother. Yeah, but how often are our partners of any sex able to say that magic sentence which makes us feel better? I know. Of course you're thin enough. Of course I love your body. Yes, it it makes a difference. So rarely. (laughs) So it is a work in progress. And what we're doing at the moment in the course of this conversation is exactly as you say, we're naming an epidemic of behaviour and a lack of ability to be present. I love you call it an epidemic because I think we have an epidemic of children raising children. Exactly. And also children having relationships with children in terms of a lot of our relational styles are very much that. Yes. And we can collapse into, you know, you be my mother and I'll be your son or, you know, you be my father and I'll be your daughter. We can collapse into that and then sex completely disappears and then all of a sudden we're trying to make something work and we're hiding and running away and not showing our body and but pretending. Of course, this is where, and this is where my like absolute passion, I can feel the fire in my body because I feel so passionate about it because so many of us were modelled. We had children as parents. I know I did. Yes. My parents were adults, right, in their body, but they had the emotional maturity and they, they would say this themselves now of children. They had not been taught mm about self-awareness and not been taught about shame or any of the behaviours that we're talking about. Mm. So, of course, I learned all that. And that was why, as you say, that was my coping tools. That was how I survived in the world. It's very interesting because in terms of how we get shamed, when I run a shame workshop, I have a document which lists eight types of abuse because essentially it's abuse that leads us into shame. 
Abuse is a strong word. Abuse is a very strong word. People so don't understand that word in no, the context so let me clarify. of using it. Okay, so let me clarify it. So I have a document which has about 500 possible ways that you could have been abused, basically. And abuse is an interesting one. Yeah, it's a very strong word. And we can stop if you don't want me to go there. No. No? I think okay. it's important that we reframe it because people think abuse is, I was locked in a cupboard and not fed or I was sexually abused. Well, that's part of it. So we have emotional abuse. Emotional abuse could be not being touched. It could be being shouted at. It could be being humiliated. It could be being bullied at school. It could be being told you're stupid. It could be being compared to your sibling all the time, whether that's superior or inferior. They're both, you know, there's lots of things that can come into that. So there's emotional, physical. Physical abuse can be not being warm enough, being kept cold, not being fed enough, not being touched enough. Again, touch comes back. It can be being hit. It can be fed only on junk food. It can be physical abuse. It can be manifold things, including what happens at school, being beaten at school or whatever. So emotional, physical, sexual abuse is a vast range of things. And that can also include seeing your parents having sex or having access to your parents' pornography collection or, I mean, any number of things, including what you're given permission to watch or what you're watching on your own. You can see things that you should never have seen. So, at inappropriate ages. Yeah, at yeah. inappropriate ages and what you do with that and what you're hearing as well. And also being objectified, being made into an object by the other who's going, oh my God, look at your breasts, aren't you growing? You know, come and sit on my lap, all that kind of stuff. And then we've got intellectual abuse coming back to some of the stuff I mentioned before. You're so stupid, you know, you can't concentrate. Why can't you do your homework? Or equally that thing of, I want you to be a tennis player. And because I've decided you're going to be a tennis player, this is what you're going to be doing. You're going to be getting up six o'clock every morning, three hours of tennis before school, blah, blah, blah. I walk to school, therefore you can walk to school all that kind of stuff. And that can come into emotional abuse as well as intellectual abuse. Being sent to boarding school for many people is an incredibly abusive experience. Mm. So all of that... Don't get me started. And then you've got religious <laughs> and spiritual abuse, which is boarding school if it was a convent, religious abuse, being told, the kind of stuff that nuns and priests would say about your religious affiliation or your... I mean, there's the myriad of things that can come into that is extraordinary. On top of that, you have body shame, how much you're shamed about your body and how dysmorphic, where we live in a culture that's highly dysmorphic. So we can have shame walking across the room. We can have shame about our bosom. We can hate our belly. We can have shame standing up. We can have shame sitting down, sitting in an aeroplane seat, going into a changing room. And for me, one of my biggest triggers is Peter Jones' changing room where they have mirrors behind you. I get really triggered. You can have financial shame. I mean, that includes, do you know how hard I work? Do you know how much it costs me to send you to boarding school? Do you know what we've sacrificed? You've got all that kind of stuff, but equally... Oh God, that made me feel so uncomfortable. I know, so awful stuff. And then also we can have financial shame where we're living on the dole and we haven't got enough time to get a job and we're feeling shame about being a mother because we're living within the means that the government sets, which is appalling. So we have all of those kind of things. And then the last one is race and racial identity and also gender and gender preference. So within all of those eight, we've got hundreds of different ways that we can feel shame and hundreds of different ways that we can be abused. So generally, abuse leads to shame. Do you think that most people come through childhood with some of those abusive behaviors. Yes, yes. I run a workshop. I guess I want to normalize it. That's why this I'm is the lovely you thing. Yes. So most people will, especially now, we have this idea that things should be perfect. But as a therapist, I can say to you that nothing is perfect. Did the Georgians get it right? Did the Elizabethans do it right? 
Did the Victorians do it right? Was it good after the war? You know, when was it ever right? We're still trying to work it out. There's a huge amount of abuse going on. I think that the internet has created a massive abandonment of ourselves. We're very unable to bear ourselves. Now, most people, if they're sitting alone, will pick up a phone, will look at a computer, will watch a movie, they'll leave themselves. They're not very good at being present, yeah. most people. Yeah. And I run this workshop, this Mastering the Addictive Nature workshop, and on each day there's a different tattoo. So each day we're working with a theme. I kind of name them as tattoos. And the first one is shit happens and the rest is what you do with it. And so folding all the way back to shame, we can wake up one day and realise that actually we're really anxious and we can realise that our anxiety behaviour is affecting our relational space. We can work out that maybe we've got a huge amount of shame one day, or you might already know. We can see that if we have shame, we will shame. And we were shamed. This is why we have shame. It's like a blanket stitch. We pass it on. That's important. Yeah. There is an epidemic of it. And then there's a whole raft of people who choose roots out. Like they find you and I. things to do. Exactly. They might get sober. They might get clean. They might start doing yoga. They might see a therapist. They might decide they want to change their behaviour. They might go travelling and go and work in an ashram and do something well, I think selfish. most people listening to this podcast are in that camp. You wouldn't listen to this stuff. Why no. would you? No. If you weren't interested exactly. in breaking that blanket stitch, yeah. you wouldn't listen to this. No. The thing to, to realise is it isn't an instant fix. You know, Louise Hay, when I was young, it was Louise Hay everyone listened to. And Louise Hay said, the moment of power is now. You know, you can change your life and you can change it today. Well, today, maybe make a decision to pay five compliments. Today, maybe go for a walk when you're upset. Today, see if you can go a whole day without shouting. You take small steps. It's really important. You just take small steps and bit by bit you accumulate these victories that you realise that actually I've changed. Actually I can do something different. I was on a training the other day and it was a psychotherapy training but we were asked to name how we would label ourselves. How would we label ourselves and how do we diminish ourselves or expand ourselves? And I said, I'm divorced, I'm menopausal, I'm a woman, I'm a complex post-traumatic stress disorder... Another therapist said, oh, my God, you wouldn't say that. And I said, why not? And they said, because you can't heal yourself from that. And I said, of course you can change. Everybody can change. Of course we can change. And actually, it's really important to recognise it's just a series of steps. It's like peeling the onion. You never really get there. You're permanently on a journey. And bit by bit, you notice, that's interesting. A year ago, that would have made me burst into tears. A year ago, I would have been phoning you five times a day. A year ago, I was seeing a therapist twice a week. You make changes bit by bit. It takes as long as it took to get there. It's not quite as long as it's going to take to get out of it. I think that's what I love so much about you and what my audience loves so much about you is that with you, I get, we get so deep into these like big topics and then your ideas are so practical and doable and hopeful because I absolutely think the same. Mm. I think... You know, I'm living example. Yeah, I'm a and living I mean, example. We're both clean like, and sober yeah, and doing anyone, it. Anyone can change from anything, but like you say, it's almost like that reshaming, as you said. I should be healed from this by now. That's yeah. just reshaming, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's and just a daily. Yeah. Could I today? This is something that I say to my coaching clients. 
what could you do differently today? Tiny, 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 tiny. Mm. And they might say, oh, I might drink a glass of water when I'm thirsty or go for a walk or notice when I'm triggered. And I get so excited when they say those things because yeah. I know that's how change happens. There's a very nice thing that you can do, and I think it's a very empowered thing, is you can have a series of questions at the end of the day and even have a journal by your bed before you go to sleep. Answer these five questions. How did I do today? Yeah. What would I do differently? Where did I have my victories? And how do I feel about myself on reflection? You know, you just look at these questions and think, yeah, actually, I didn't really like what I said at that point. Maybe I can apologise, but I wouldn't do that again. I've noticed that wasn't kind. Okay, that's good. I'm going to sleep. I thought about that. And then say thank you. At the end of the day, thank you. I had a fantastic day. Thank you. I remembered. I learned. It's about remembering. The great thing about the word remember, the etymology of to remember is to pull yourself together. Ah. Mm, I love that. Is to decide maybe you don't particularly like how you're behaving and maybe you could choose to work on an aspect. Yeah. And just work on an aspect. Yeah. That's it. Each yeah. day. Put a notice on your fridge, you know. Put a thing by your bed that says, take a breath, be kind, go for a walk, do 20 sit-ups. You know, whatever it is, work on it. And about committing to yourself rather than abandoning yourself. Yeah, and I love those journaling prompts that you said. I'll write those out and put them in the show notes for people who want them. Is the simplicity of the awareness. The awareness alone can bring so much change, can't it? Another way to think about it is think about offending out and offending in. If we have a history of shame, abuse, trauma, we are very likely to offend out. That doesn't mean that if you were sexually abused, you're going to molest your child. It doesn't mean that. No. But what it does mean is that you're likely to be slightly more hysterical. You're likely to be verbally vicious. You're likely to have behaviours that are offending behaviours. In terms of emotionally upsetting. Upsetting because other people. Because that's what we were saying. It's a, defense. it's a defense mechanism. Exactly. So we offend out, but equally we offend in and we're vile to ourselves. If we have shame, if we have anxiety... We are more vile to ourselves than anything we ever went through. This is the truth. Oh, that's so important for people to hear. It is the truth. And the art of the recovery is to have moments where you're really gentle. Well, this is why I called it mother kind. Yeah. Because so much of my recovery came from being kind to myself. Yeah. And it sounds really simple. It's not simple. And I put it on Instagram the other day because I had so many people saying, it sounds so pappy. Be kind to yourself. I said, it's the bloody hardest thing I've ever done. But you can change that it's word changed. also to gentle. Be yeah. gentle. Be gentle with yourself and be gentle Mother with the gentle, other. Yeah. Well, I don't say change the name of your <laughs> no, thing, but, but I know people think, you know, kind, it's an interesting word and it's a good word. Mother kind is a lovely word. But equally, yes, be gentle. Yeah. Be gentle. Be gentle when you speak to your child. Put it in the dishwasher, darling. Come yeah. You know. Yeah. Let's do it yeah. together. Let's go and put it in the dishwasher together. But we can only do that if we're being gentle with ourselves. Yeah. And it's that moment of going, I could be really nasty right now. And it's when you start to be able to catch yourself, you come out of being reactive into being responsive. Well, there's so many nuggets. <laughs> Every time you say something, I'm like, let's get into that. <laughs> So many nuggets, but we are going to have to close because I know my head is just buzzing and I know the listeners are going to be feeling the same. Is there anything on this topic that we haven't covered? Oh I always like asking that, just in case you're sat here going, why did she not ask me about this one thing? 
just an opportunity that probably isn't given given all the distance we've traveled and then I'm going to ask you the final question which I asked you last time no I think we've had a really good tramp through on a certain level I wouldn't say the basics of shame but we've explored shame through the lens of being a new parent or a mother and that's a very particular perspective. So it's very unusual what you're doing because you're giving people, women particularly, perspective to explore their relation to themselves as a mother and what they're passing on. Yeah, thank you. Um, there's a nice thing which maybe answers your last question. So ask me your last question. Okay. If you could give one gift to all the mothers in the world, what would it be and why? Okay, the gift would be if you sit and you put your hand on your navel, put your hand on your navel, Right where your hand is touching your navel, this is right here, right now. This is actually right here, right now. Your hand is holding seven generations back. The egg that's in your Zoe, your pregnant belly, that egg, that child, was in your mother. And that egg was in your mother, and your mother was in your grandmother. Our abuse and trauma history goes back seven generations. Right here, right now, as mothers, we can choose to do it differently. We can choose the next seven generations. And as we wake up and we choose to behave differently, from here is what makes it change. And that's a really extraordinary thing to know. It's going to make me cry. That's okay. But <laughs> so, it's really it's lovely. so beautiful. So that's it. Thank you for listening to the episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And if you did, please do leave a review on iTunes. It does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content. If you were listening to that episode, thinking about one of your friends that they might benefit from what we were chatting about, then just tag them in on Instagram. My bio will include the link to the podcast so they can find it really easily from there. People often tell me they're desperate to share it with their friends. So if that's you, then please do. I feel like the guests that we have on the podcast, their wisdom just deserves to be heard far and wide. So help me make that happen. I'd be very grateful. And also, if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode, then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe. And also, just to let you know about my coaching. So I do work one-on-one with mums on my programme, which is a three-month programme called Reconnect to You. So if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life, then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care. Hi, I'm Lauren. And I'm Nicole. And if you enjoy this show, you will love our podcast, Self Care Club. Every week, we trial a different form of self care and report back on the results. We've tried everything from cuddle therapy, setting boundaries, laughter yoga, and many more. Two friends who rarely agree on anything, testing out the world of self care so you don't have to. We've even written a book dedicated to self care practices that cost you nothing. You can listen to Self Care Club wherever you get your podcasts. Or to purchase our book, search Have You Tried This on Amazon.